team. Thanks, Rachel. Um, we're quite a way through our home series now. Uh, just two more after today. Um, and before I get on to the room that I'm speaking on, I wanted to focus on that word home just for a little while. Um, and notice we're using the word home. We're not using the word house. Um, just, just quickly, what's the difference between a house and a home? Anybody? Home is permanent, whereas a house can be temporary. Good. Any other thoughts? Pardon? Oh, lovely. The house is the building. The home of the people that make the house. That's beautiful. Any other thoughts? Home is where the heart is. And the house is bricks and mortar. Absolutely. Thank you, Rod. Um, I, I think there is... A very big difference between those two words that you've captured beautifully there. Um, you can have a house that's not a home. And you can have a home without necessarily having a house. And I know in the Bible it talks about the house of God. But shall we have a little look at that word house in the Bible? And I just want to dig a little deeper into John 14 too. Because this is a really brilliant bit that Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them and us that in my father's house there are many rooms. Do you remember that Bible verse? In my father's house there are many rooms. Um, and he's talking about obviously when he's going to go to heaven and he's going to prepare a place for us. Um, and the word that we translate as house is derived from a word that means abide. It actually implies the idea of rest and stability of home. In fact, if you look at the New Living Translation version, I think it translates it perfectly. So these are Jesus' words translated to their meaning. There's more than enough room in my father's home. Isn't that wonderful? There's more than enough room for all of us in my father's home. Um, and the word that we talked about, a little bit of Greek, it's the only little bit of Greek I'll do today, but a little bit of Greek, the word that the Bible uses when it's written in Greek is oikia. Now that's with an O, not an I. So we're not talking about Junction 9, Wensbury. We're not talking about where you can get your flat pack furniture from. Um, the other word actually is oikos. And again, we're not talking about a Greek yogurt. Um, what we're talking about is a word that doesn't just mean, it means house, yes, but it means more than bricks and mortar. It's about actually a home or a household, an abode, and it's got the connotations of family. It's got the connotations of family. And this is the point I wanted to make. Home is a place of family. And when... Uh, in 2013, the Junction 10 core, te core team, leadership team, uh, we felt we heard God ask us to demolish our old building on Warsaw 323 and trust him. What else did he say? What did he say to us? He said, build community with Jesus at the centre. Now, in the early days of that word, actually, we often used to say, build family with Jesus at the centre. I know we use the word community now a lot, but we did actually use the word family a lot. 
And that's because we'd purposely gone on retreat with two questions in mind. God, what do we do about the building? And how do we build oikos? Not how do we build a house, but how do we build a family? How do we build a home at Junction 10? And when you look at Jesus' life and you look at his family, he says his family is his faith community. Um, This is from Matthew 12, starting at verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone said to him, your mothers and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied and said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing at his followers, at his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So the Christian community is the family. It brings us back to building family, building community with Jesus at the centre. So that's a little bit about about home. But how does all that relate to the room that we're looking at today, the study? Well, let's think about study. I work in the education sector, as a number of you do too. And I've noticed, and I wonder whether you have, that study is becoming increasingly quite an individualistic thing both with the explosion of technology and then the move to online with COVID. Um, Lots of study is done individually. And our modern day study is usually aimed at gaining knowledge and developing skills and getting some sort of accreditation or certification. But in Jesus' day, learning was a community affair. It was a family thing. Young Jews attended the local synagogue school And because these were small rural communities, the synagogue was a place of community, it was a place of family, it was a place of learning, it was a place of family. And also because people didn't have written scriptures like we've got, uh, only really the the learned people, the the synagogues would have the scriptures, they weren't readily available to the the common person, they had to memorise and pass them on. And uh, they did this verbally. So the family would regularly gather around and ritualistically tell the stories in the scripture to remember and to learn about how God worked. So I think the purpose of study, when we're thinking about our sacred walk with God, is quite different to what we normally think about as study. And I say this because we need to be careful in understanding why we're doing study and how we measure the effect of our study. And I've noticed that study can often get perverted into learning for its own sake or to be intellectually superior or to be able to win an argument or show off. But the main purpose of studying discipleship and our spiritual formation is learning to love and follow Jesus to learn his ways and the ways of the Spirit. So I'll say that again. The purpose of study for discipleship and our spiritual formation is learning to love and follow Jesus, to learn his ways and the ways of the Spirit. That should always be our central focus. 
So if what we're studying and how we're studying doesn't help us to fall more in love with Jesus, and it doesn't want to make us follow him more closely, then could I humbly suggest that we might need to change something? On the slide is Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 24. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must, must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learnt when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put, your new, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I think this passage and the bits I've highlighted there about the teaching and the mind and the thinking and becoming like God gives us a big clue as to the purpose of studying our Christian walk. And for me, study should be a place of thought and focus, a place of growth and development. And, and I remember the day that God said to me, use your mind for me. Now, until this point, I'd struggled quite a bit between the intellectual skills and gifts and abilities that God had given me and the culture of our denomination that seemed quite anti-intellectual. And, and much of what our Pentecostal tradition had taught was that you only need to read the Bible, and that was enough. Why waste time on study when there are souls needing to be saved? You don't need to go to Bible college. What you're going through right now in your life, Will, will teach you as long as you dig into the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit. Those were words that were actually said to me. And don't get me wrong, there is a lot of truth in what I've just said, but I don't think that's the whole truth. And I remember walking into my office at the time I was working on the Warsaw campus of the University of Wolverhampton. Uh, we'd built the performance hub, lovely big building. And I remember walking into my office at work, and it was the 11th of Feb, 2009, and I turned over a leaf on the Oswald Chambers desk calendar that Vicky had bought me, and it was Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And the little devotional commentary from Oswald Chambers began like this. If you've never used your mind to place yourself before God, begin to do it now. Your mind is the greatest gift God has given you, and it ought to be entirely devoted to him. And at that moment, I really felt like the Holy Spirit say to me, use your mind for God. And there was a very strong impression that two things that I'd been wrestling with. The first, that I had to apply for ARG ministry training. And the second, 
that I should start a PhD that my boss had been on my back about and had been pressing me to do, but I'd been resisting because I was really busy. We've got a young family. We've got lots on our plate. But I felt God release the door on those two things. Now, that was 2009. Fast forward five years to 2013, and then I was ordained. I got my full ministry status with Assemblies of God. Then another four or five years to 2018, and I graduated with my PhD. And do you know what? God has used those two things in surprising and amazing ways and exciting ways so far. But I still sense this has only been the tip of the iceberg, that there's much more fruit to come. And I can't begin to tell you what, that, what a transformation that word from God on that desk calendar had on the way I thought about ministry and study. And as I was preparing this, I thought perhaps that's a word for someone here today. Perhaps that's a word for you today. Perhaps you feel the way to the Holy Spirit that you too need to use your minds for God. That maybe you too need to place your mind before God and recognise it's the greatest gift he's given to you. And for all of us, we all should have our minds totally devoted to him. And I think there's been a lie that the intellect is a restriction on the spirit, and it can be. Don't get me wrong, it can be. But as I mentioned earlier, memorising scripture and study was an expected part of the community and family life in Jesus' day. And, and in fact, when, 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 Je- when Jesus was asked, uh, they were trying to catch him out and they're saying, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus respond with? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, with all your mind. With all your mind. Heart, soul and mind together. As well as thought and focus and growth and development, the study is also a place of retreat and contemplation. A place of retreat and contemplation. The study is a place where you withdraw from the world temporarily, where you retreat from the noise and the demands, and you carve out some time to listen and contemplate. And can I say, um, in the room today, who actually has a physical room in their house that's a study? Put your hand up if you do. Okay, put your hands down. If you don't have a physical place that's a study, put your hand up. Brilliant. And that leaves about 50% of the congregation who don't know whether they have a study or not in their home. Because you didn't put your hands up. But can I say, I'm not necessarily talking about a physical place in a physical building. We're talking about the home and we're talking about family. Millie, who's not here today, or was it Izzy? Um... She's here, she's in kids, yeah, she's serving in kids. Uh, but one of them, I think it was Millie, said to me, Dad, you should have bought your big leather chair because that's where you do your study, isn't it? I've got this leather chair at home that's a bit like a Jackanory chair and, and that's where I do my study. You don't need a physical place. You just need to be able to carve out some time to retreat from the noise and the demands and to have some time to listen and contemplate. Because I'm convinced that God speaks to us in many ways. He's spoken to us today through the worship. Hopefully he'll speak through the word. But I think in order to really hear his voice, We need times of silence. 
Because it's often what the Bible talks about as God having a still, small voice. And we need space to hear what he's saying and we need time in quiet to contemplate what he means. And you know what? In the main, God's work is a slow work. So if we're to grow into maturity, our pace needs to match his pace, not the other way round. And I think to match his pace, we need to slow down, we need to time t- take time to retreat and contemplate. Because I don't think you can disassociate silence, solitude, prayer and contemplation from study. I think they go together. You know what, if you do disassociate those things, if you just do study without prayer and contemplation, without silence and solitude, then I think there's a danger. I think the danger is that study becomes a pursuit not guided by God and his spirit, but by our flesh and our ego and our pride. Study, when coupled with prayer, should cultivate the fruit of the spirit. It should help us become more Christ-like. Just compare Jesus with a people who were very well studied in his days. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they knew the Bible, they knew the scriptures, they studied a lot. But they missed Jesus. The object of their study, you see, was focused and motivated on the wrong things. And ultimately, they weren't in step with the things of God, even though they knew and they studied. So in the context of retreat and contemplation, study helps us to learn to go through the seasons of life and the stages of faith towards greater maturity. Learning to love and follow Jesus, learning his ways, learning the ways of the Spirit. And you know what? Learning to do the things that Jesus did. That's our mandate. In fact, Jesus said, greater things than these will you do. That's amazing. So we've talked about the study now for a bit. Uh, Let's think about the three main themes that Vicky asked us to consider throughout the series when she launched it. And they were relationships, responsibility and revelation. Um... Oh, I can't help thinking of ghosts. We watch this. We watch this uh, program at home called Ghosts, and there's a there's a, a dead politician on there. Family, 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 and it's uh, it just reminded me of that. Sorry, shouldn't go on script. I've made it easy cringe, but uh, if you haven't watched Ghosts, it is so funny. Um, I, I don't say it's theologically correct. I just say it's humorous. Um, so let's think about relationships. Back on script. I think. Everyone should come to church on a Sunday. Does anybody disagree? No disagreements? So we all agree everyone should come to church on a Sunday. In fact, now this is where some of you may have a difficulty. I think we should be here early. And I think we should linger after the service. And I think the reason we need to do that is to connect with the people of God in the Junction 10 community and the family that God has placed us in. And if we were doing that, then at 10.30, we would have as many people here today as we do at quarter to 11 or 11 o'clock. So it's not, it's not a telling off, I know, I know I'm not doing that, but I am saying we should be here on time and early. Because 
let's be clear, spending 90 minutes or so together on a Sunday, most of which is either standing or sitting in these seats for corporate worship and the word, is not really going to build relationships. It's not really, this, this time together, this bit, isn't the bit that's going to build the heartbeat of family. Now, I got my calculator out and I worked out there are 10,080 minutes in a week. So we've all got 10,080 minutes. If you came to church early and you lingered after the service, then that's about 120 minutes. That's about two hours. Of which you're probably building relationships, maybe for a few minutes before and a few minutes after. Shall we say 30 minutes of being with people and chatting to them and building relationships? That 30 minutes is a mere 0.3% of our time. And I think to create community and relationship the way that God wants us to, to build family, to build community with Jesus at the centre, church, we have to spend more than 0.3% of our time investing in relationships. Christianity is a family, it's a community affair. It's not an individual consumer pastime. That's why relationships are so important. And, and in the Bible, another little bit of Bible for you, I'm not going to go into the Greek, but in the Bible, the New Testament letters that were written to the people of God, written to the church, written to us, most of the time when it talks about you, it's talking about the plural you, not the singular you. It was written to communities. Okay? We don't get that sort of difference when we read the Bible in English. Because in English, if I say you, I could be talking about the singular you, or I could be talking about the corporate you. We don't have different words for those. They're exactly the same word for us. And when you're reading your Bible at home, hopefully you do that, you're usually on your own, you're usually in a quiet time, and that usually makes it think it's talking to you personally. And let me say the Bible does talk to you personally, but those letters were written to be read in community, in family, not individually. And I think that's a, a challenge in our Western culture. We're radically individualistic. And I think that's why God said to the Junction 10 leaders, build community, build family with Jesus at the centre. And that message is a radically countercultural message but it's a much needed one in our society today. We can offer society, the people who don't know Jesus, something that society seems increasingly not to be offering. In the Bible, did you know, who knows what the word church, the word that we translate church in the Bible, what's the Greek for that one? Ecclesia. <laughs> You've read my preacher. Now you knew it, I know. Um, it's that word ecclesia. Does anybody know what ecclesia means? Kev? <laughs> he does know, because he told me before. The ecclesia means gathered. It means the gathering. It means the gathering of those summoned. So church isn't something that you go to, even though you say, I'm going to church today. And that's not a major sin. That's a minor sin. We'll let you off with it. But it's not something that you go to. It's something that you are. It's something that you belong to. Um, so I, I really hope this comes across 
I think we've got to be intentional about spending time with our Junction 10 family outside of the Sunday service space so that we can learn together, we can grow together. And what do you think I'm going to say is the best way to do that? Journey groups. Journey groups. Um, I would have to say that one night. Journey groups are the best way that we can build community with Jesus at the centre. And I know that some of you here today are in journey groups where you regularly meet together every fortnight, you do study, you support each other, you pray for each other, you look after each other, you keep in contact with each other. But if you're not in a journey group, can I really strongly suggest that you should be, that you need to be, that just doing this on a Sunday and your individual Bible study isn't quite enough. It's good. You should be doing that things, but we need to be meeting together. Bible says, let us not stop meeting together. And it was talking about meeting in homes, meeting together as a family. And um, the other thing I'd like to say, and, and I've done this before, sometimes you can mistake being involved in ministry and being in a team on ministry with being in a journey group. They're not the same things. When, when we meet together in the worship team to, to rehearse or to do other things, it's good, but it's not the same as a journey group because we don't do that study together. We don't always pray together. We're not meeting in that fortnightly rhythm. We're not learning to grow with each other in that way. Uh, if you're meeting as trustees, if you're on the trustees, that's brilliant, but it's not a journey group. It's not going to grow you like a journey group. If you're on the kids team, if you're an elder, whoever you are and whatever you do, that's not the same as being in a journey group. They've got different purposes. And it shouldn't be either or, it should be both and. Because there's no substitute for your spiritual formation like being in a small community of people where you can share your heart, where you can be supported when you hit hard times, um, we've had some lovely stories of, of Gemma on the worship team who had to have a heart operation, of the way that people gathered around her, did, did the chores, did the, the food. This is what it's all about, building community with Jesus at the centre. So that was relationship. Let's think about responsibility. Um, and I want to think about our responsibility to ourselves, to God, to our Christian family and to the world and those who don't know Jesus. So to yourself, this is about your own discipleship. It's about your spiritual formation. And I wonder if I ask the question, this is a really good question to ask yourself, who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? I wonder, can you immediately think of a couple of people to answer that question, at least two names? Uh, now, in the new year, we're going to be doing a new Sunday teaching series on discipleship. And that will be through some of the guest speakers that we've booked and also our teaching team. And we're going to be, I hope, bringing a bit of challenge to the Junction 10 community about our discipleship. Because we're all responsible for our spiritual formation. If you're in a journey group, you will have someone who's discipling you. That will be your journey group leader and the people in the journey group. But if you're not, who's discipling you? Who are you investing into, sowing into, who are you discipling? Then to God, we have a responsibility to God to learn his ways, to learn to hear Jesus' voice, 
Not staying as a baby on the spiritual milk that you might get on a Sunday, but growing into mature adults. And then there's the J10 family. You have a responsibility to your Christian community of brothers and sisters. Learning the ways and operating in the power of the Spirit is good for you, but actually it was never meant just for you. It was meant to invest in the body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ and you have something really valuable to offer. Even if you don't think that you've got anything valuable to offer. The Bible says even those parts of the body that are hidden, that are you know, in the background, are actually part of the body that are much needed. And then to the wider community. Jesus gave us the Great Commission to go and make disciples and he sent us, his followers, into Jerusalem, Judea and to the ends of the earth. And if you think about some of the people in the Bible, Philip or Peter or Paul, these were great evangelists but they're also very, very well versed in the word of God. They were well studied. They knew the ways of the Spirit because this was just as much for people outside the church as it was for inside the church. So, this year we spent a lot of time and effort and investment in organising a Christmas market because we feel God has told us, told us it's time to let the wider community know that we are here. And, you know, this series that we're doing on home is about getting Junction 10 ready, getting our family together for those that God will send. Do you believe that God's going to send people in? Yeah. yeah, I do. And we've asked you to volunteer for that. And if you haven't put your name down yet, then I, I think you could exercise that responsibility. See Phil Walker or one of the other team at the end of the service if you haven't volunteered yet. But I'm not just talking about volunteering. What I'm talking about, this is an all-in family affair. It's a everybody together. Let's come together and let's do this thing that God's asking for. It's about a family investment. Are you in? Are you in? Because we've all got a part to play. There's opportunities for everyone to serve. So let me ask you, have you put the date in the diary? What is the date? Does anybody know? Brilliant. 17th of December. Write it on your, on your hands. Put it in your diary. Put it in your diary. Have you prioritised it? Yes. Yeah, you've prioritised it. There's other things that, that close to Christmas, four o'clock, thank you, Mons. Um, there's other things that we will have pressing on our time because it's Christmas, but have you prioritised that day as one for the Junction 10 and the wider community? Have you signed up to be part of the prayer group? Even if you can't physically do anything, are you praying? It's a family all-in moment. It's about us growing together in our faith as we serve. Now, for some of you, I appreciate this might be an uncomfortable moment because you might be like me, very shy. You might not like standing in front of people and talking to them. But you know what? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to maybe take the next step in your discipleship journey and to grow as part of God's family. And it's also about that responsibility to those who don't know Jesus, but it's also a responsibility to yourself, to God and the J10 family. Because even if you can't serve, as a minimum, can you just come? Can you just turn up and be the light, be the God's presence in this place? 
Put the date in the diary. Are you in? Are you in? Are you in the home as part of the family? Or are you on the edge as a tenant? And finally, as I bring it into land, Revelation. There's an amazing passage in Isaiah that I think is a promise to all of us who are earnestly seeking the ways of God. Now I will tell you new things, secrets that you've not yet heard. Yes, I will tell you things that are entirely new, things that you've never done before. And I mentioned earlier that the main purpose of study is learning to love and follow Jesus, to learn his ways and the ways of the Spirit. And you know what? That combination of the Holy Spirit and the Bible are a powerful coupling. The Holy Spirit is the master teacher and the Bible is his dynamite curriculum, his dunamis. So how are you growing and moving in the ways of the Spirit? Are you reading your Bible with the Holy Spirit? Because that's amazing as a way of learning to train your mind to be like the mind of Christ. Trained to see and focus on beauty. Trained to relax and release anxiety through joy. And I've got, I've got, just as a last bit, I've got a little bit of advice. So if you're someone who's just starting out on your Bible journey reading, if you're fairly new to faith, here's a few tips. Start out by getting yourself a really accessible translation of the Bible. Don't go for King James. If someone gave you a King James Bible and it's all dusty sitting on your desk, on, on your bookshelf, leave that for now because it's full, full of uses of the old English those and they's and it's really hard to read. But rather get something a bit more accessible. An NIV, New International Version, or an NLT, New Living Translation. It uses modern day language. And ideally, get yourself something like the Life Application Study Bible. Now, what this does is it gives you the scriptures, but underneath it gives you little notes and tells you what it means. And I found that in my early Christian walk, that was a brilliant resource. Um, my third bit of advice, don't read the Bible like a normal book. Don't start at the beginning and work it way through because it doesn't usually work very well. Start halfway through in the New Testament, reading the four Gospels and the Book of Acts and read those over and over and over again. And this way, you'll immerse yourself into learning about Jesus and the works of the Holy Spirit. And I would say, if you're new to the Bible, try and carve out 15 minutes a day. Don't try and do hours and hours and hours, but at least 15 minutes a day, reading your Bible and sometime on top of that, praying um, and then as you go on, try and increase that 15 minutes to a little longer. And finally, if you're starting out, I would say get yourself an easy devotional. And for me, the UCB word for today, it's a free devotional. Um, they post it to you. It doesn't cost you anything. It comes every three or four months and it's got, it's got a daily devotional. And it's really, really excellent resource for new Christians, but for mature Christians as well. That's if you're starting out. If you're moving on, I would then say move on from the Gospels and Acts into the Epistles or the letters that come after Acts. Maybe get a study guide on the particular book that you're reading. So if it's Romans, get the Romans study guide. Or you can get it online. You can go to Bible Hub or other resources and get some commentaries and understand, well, what was the, what was the writer trying to say in that passage? Um, also, I would say... Start reading bits of the Old Testament now, but keep to the stories. Um, there are some really difficult bits in the Old Testament, but if you read books about the stories, things like Ruth 
and Esther, they're very accessible. And then finally, if you're a bit more mature and and you're carrying on in your faith, that's where I would say you're familiar with the New Testament, you've dipped into the Old Testament, then spend some time in the Old Testament. And I would aim to read the Bible from start to end, ideally in a year or a couple of years, or maybe follow a plan that gives you the Bible in a year where you're mixing up New Testament and Old Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, um, but so that you get the whole canon of Scripture, so that you understand how Jesus' life fits within the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you're more experienced, if you're really mature and more experienced, as part of one of the fathers or mothers of the House of Junction 10, why not offer to come alongside some of our newer family members or some of our younger people and give them some encouragement, spend some time reading God's word with them? That would be a brilliant thing to do. And at all stages... Why not try listening to scripture as well as reading your Bible? Put your earphones in on a dog walk. I tend to listen to uh, Nicky Gumbel and the Bible in one year app, but there's lots of many others. Or maybe put the Bible on in your car uh, when you're driving or maybe at the gym, if you're that way inclined. You might not always take in everything that's being said, but it will feed your souls. And finally, as parents, we need to be reading our Bibles with our kids. Because we need them to learn how to read the Bible and we need them to learn to read it for themselves. Um, So are you reading the Bible with your kids? Maybe a better gift for your child this Christmas is a new Bible in in an accessible youth format rather than Xbox or football shirt. And I want to conclude now with some material from Lectio 365. This was on the 16th of October last month. Let me read this to you. Maybe, maybe you can close your eyes. Maybe we can get in an attitude of prayer. There's been a lot there today. It's covered a lot of ground. A little bit of challenge. This is from Lectio 365. How have I learned Christ? How have I learned Christ? I think of wise leaders who spoke the truth over me. I think of the ways I've intentionally chosen to learn through education, reading and my local church family. I think of the conversations with friends who've stretched my mind. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I love him. And in the novel, The Life of Pi, Jan Martel tells the fantastic tale of a young Indian boy's spiritual journey. And this is what he writes about Jesus. I couldn't get him out of my head, still can't. I spent three solid days thinking about him. The more he bothered me, the less I could forget him. And the more I learnt about him, the less I wanted to leave him. And this is from Ephesians 5, from the message version. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. 
He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Junction 10, love like that. And I'm struck as I read that Lectio of the stories that are coming across on the Christian network of Muslims in Gaza who are seeing Jesus in visions and are feeling compelled to go to the missionary outposts and wanting to give their lives to Jesus. So Father God, we pray for our community in Darlaston. I pray that a similar outpouring of your spirit of visions and dreams for people who don't know you, that these people would be compelled to come to the market, to come to Junction 10, to come to another church. We don't mind, Lord, where they go. But I pray that your spirit would be resting on this area heavily. I pray for us as a Junction 10 family that we would really grab your heart on this. That the market wouldn't be just a, an event that we're putting on because it's Christmas. But this would be a divine appointment for us as your family in Darliston. And for those members of the family who don't know you yet, but you are drawing them in. Let them come, Lord. Let them know you, Lord. And let us play our part in the family. In Jesus' name, Amen.